All right, spring forward next week. Do you like that one or the fall back one? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> sunshine, yeah, I know. More sunshine into the day. Well, if there is sunshine, I mean, I don't know. Is that possible? Um, we're in March, and uh, that means the end of this month is Easter. We have an early Easter this year, and so just want to encourage you to be thinking about, you know, somebody that God's putting on your heart to invite to Easter. Um, this is one of the two times during the year that people are likely to go to church if asked. And so um, just be thinking about that and ha invite somebody along um, with you to this Easter. It's the last Sunday of March. Now we are going to begin uh, today a, uh, a series that we're going to take right up to Easter. And we're going to look at the book of Second Peter. All right, Second Peter, New Testament book written by the Apostle Peter. Peter, the guy that you know, never had a thought that he didn't express. You know, very impulsive guy, kept putting his foot in his mouth as he walked with Jesus and was taught by Jesus, but also um, was being transformed by Jesus. And now he writes this letter to churches in um, an area called Asia Minor. Today, that area is called Turkey. Okay, and so um, he's writing to these churches there, and it's significant for a few reasons, but one is the timing of this letter. Um, we believe he wrote it in 67 AD. What is interesting about that is a couple of things. Number one, Nero was in power. Nero was a crazy man. He got really crazy. I don't know if it was a coincidence or not, but he went really nuts when he got married, okay? Um, <laughs> And he started killing everybody, you know, anybody that was a threat to him. He started killing uh, a bunch of wealthy leaders in Rome because then he just took their money and their wealth. Um, in 64 AD, just a few years before Peter wrote this, um, there was a fire that wiped out Rome. And this is a, a big historical event that took place. You may have heard about it. Um, historians believe that Nero had that fire set that destroyed a lot of Rome. Why? Because he wanted to make a bigger palace for himself. And so he wanted to claim a lot of the land that was around his current palace. And so he had it raised. He had it burnt to the ground. And then he uh, built his huge palace in his own glory for himself. Now, what he did, though, was he said, the Christians did it. And Christians were a small group of people, growing group, but a minority of people he did not like. Um, one of the reasons why he didn't like, it, like them is because they refused to recognize him as a god. All right? And so that did not sit well with, with Nero. He thought they were in rebellion against Rome, rebellion against him. And so then he started you know, doing some horrendous games. You know, you'd have um, Christians or slaves put in the Colosseum, well, whatever Colosseum they had at the time, and um, ripped apart by dogs as a form of entertainment. Uh, just really, really sick individual. And he was the leader of the Roman Empire. And so persecution towards Christians was really ramping up. Now in 67 AD, as Paul writes this letter, you know where Paul is? Paul is in prison in Rome. And later that same year, he is crucified um, under the orders of Nero. 
And so he, he knows he's at the end of his life. And so these are Paul's you know, parting words, his last words. And he's writing them to churches in Asia Minor. And we'll show you a map of these churches. Um, there are, there are a lot of times they're called the seven churches of Revelation. Those red dots are those seven churches. But there are other churches throughout this area that Paul and others in their missionary journeys help establish Miletus is one of those churches down the, on the coast there in the south. You go inland um, south, there's Colossae, which one of the books of the New Testament was written to, one of the letters was written to. But these are the churches that um, Peter is writing to, um, words of encouragement. These are his last words. So he's thinking, okay, you know, um, persecution is ramping up, but God's at work. And I'm about ready to be taken out. And so let me just give you some final thoughts. And he basically hits three areas. One is, um, do you realize what a gift it is to walk with God? And do you realize what an opportunity it is for your life to be changed and transformed by God? And so that's the first thing. We're going to look at that today. Second thing is um, there are going to be people who say they are representing God, who are telling you lies. And so watch out for false teachers. And then the third thing is, you know what? No matter how good things are or how bad things are right now, there will be a day where Jesus comes back and makes all things right. And it's going to happen. So those are three things that he hits. Those are three things we're going to hit over the next uh, few weeks. Um, And we're going to start now in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, and of Jesus our Lord. And so um, one of the things that we know about uh, Paul is, first of all, he's saying, you know, if you are followers of Jesus, what I have from God, you have from God. I mean, you, you might look at me as like super Christian, but I'm not. I'm just like you on this journey. And everything God through his grace has given me, God through his grace has given you. Now, um, In a lot of letters in the New Testament, you see at the very beginning when they're doing the greetings, they'll say grace and peace to you, grace and peace to you. And it's always in that order. Why? Because if you receive the grace of God, you begin having a peace that you've never had before. Why? Because all of a sudden you know you're known by God, you're loved by God, you're forgiven by God and you're secure, you have a growing security in who God made you to be. And there is a peace that comes as a result of the grace of God in your life. And so it's always saying grace and peace. It never says peace and grace because the grace of God as a byproduct begins leading to experiencing peace that only comes from God. And so he says grace and peace to you. Now, one of the things that Paul is addressing or Peter is addressing is um, it's something that people are confused about, about what a Christian is. And C.S. Lewis wrote about it in his classic book, Mere Christianity. If you're, if you're on a spiritual journey and you're trying to figure out what is Christianity all about, 
and um, you know, what's the depth behind it, what it's really saying, read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's a classic, you'll read a paragraph and you'll have to like stop for a day and just go, oh my goodness, now what all did that say there? And, and it just, um, some great, great truths from C.S. Lewis. One of the chapters in his book, Mere, Christian, Mere Christianity is this, nice people are new men. And what he's getting to is a misconception about what it means to be a Christian. A lot of people think, well, what's a Christian? Well, a Christian is somebody who um, tries to be nice so God likes them. And so it's about nice people becoming nicer. And I want you to know that's a lie. I mean, that, that's, that's religion, okay? Any religion says this is where you are and this is where you need to be in order to be to satisfy where God wants you to be. And so you're trying to do behavior modification in order to please God so that at the end of life, you may um, be reincarnated or you may be uh, you know, accepted by God into his presence or whatever. Um, and so that's, that's religion. That, you know, just honestly, I think sucks because it puts pressure on you to try to make yourself into something that you can never be, which is acceptable to God based upon you modifying your behavior. And ultimately, when we know that, if you think about this, it's kind of a fool's errand because even in our own lives, if we set up standards that we like to live by, um, we violate those things all the time in our own standards. And so the idea, you know, we're disappointing ourselves. And so the idea that we can satisfy the righteousness of God by being good enough is, is foolish. Um, and it's a religious exercise and it just leaves you feeling guilty. What C.S. Lewis is pointing out and what Peter is pointing out here is that placing your faith in Jesus is not a, a, a an exercise of trying to make yourself better. It's recognizing that God is a good and gracious God and gives you something that you cannot earn on yourself. And even as he forgives you, he now gives you a life that you can't even create on yourself. He begins doing a transformation in you. And he says, all things are new. So it's not about nice people becoming nicer. It's about anyone and everyone no matter how raunchy, no matter how evil or how nice you are, who recognizes the grace of God and what he's offering to you as far as forgiveness and a new life in him. It says God makes that person new, new. It, it's a miraculous thing. It is a um, supernatural transformative experience. You forgiven and then you are being transformed by God as a result of simply trusting in God, all right? And so that's what he's talking about. His divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Now stop about that, stop for a second. Big difference between nice people becoming nicer, it's like, okay, I'm trying harder. No, that, that's, not, that, that's being religious, that's not being a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus says, if you submit and you, and you trust in him, then he will be doing something in his divine power and granting to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. In other words, 
everything that God created you to be, he will begin doing in you if you trust him. This is a supernatural work. The power of God is in you. Can you be transformed? Can you grow? Can you change? 100%. How? By trusting in him. But I don't know if you, if, you know, I'm a mess. Forgiven, okay. Uh, transformed, I'm a mess. Well, th- that, that is a matter of do you trust God in you? Not do you trust yourself, but do you trust the power of God at work in you? And so here's um, one of the big things that I want us to take away from today is followers of Jesus never stop growing. Why? Because his power is at work in us. And so it is a matter of him and what he wants to do, not a matter of me kind of just trying to drum up enough self-control to do something. It's like, no, do I trust him? Okay, then I will trust him and I will follow him. And this will happen because dependent upon God, not me. Verse three again, his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So what do I do? I press into him. I want to know who God is more. I want to know that, you know what, I can trust him. He says he created me and he knows what human flourishing looks like more than I know myself. And so it's a supernatural work. If I'm willing to trust him, then his power will work in me. It's guaranteed. And, and so we're going to talk about this cooperation. I trust him. He does a work. Philippians 4, 13. This was written by Paul. This is a um, common verse. You've probably heard it before. And you've you heard it misused for lots of different circumstances. Um, primarily, probably athletic events. But I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You know, um, I probably have prayed that before in my younger days as before a game. I can do all, you know, you're just trying to get yourself in the right frame of mind. Um, but that's not what Paul's talking about. First of all, he says, I can do all things. Why? Through him who strengthens me. So as I've placed my, my trust in Jesus, he forgives my sins. He accepts me into his presence and, and actually says the Holy Spirit now indwells me. God with me, God in me to do something that I cannot do on my own. Do I still have my selfish bent? Yep. But I also now have something new going on in me. That God's at work in me. And am I willing to trust him? Um, I can do all things through him that gives me strength. What's the context there? What's Paul talking about? You know what Paul's talking about? Contentment. He's saying, through the power of God, you know what God has broken me free from? Greed. Wow. That is a powerful thing in our lives, isn't it? I mean, just you know, if you ask anybody today, there's been a bunch of surveys done um, through time that's asked the wealthiest people, the top 1%, um, how much money and stuff do you need to be enough? And always the response is a little more. We have this thing in us, and it's not because... Uh, money in itself is wonderful, but we think it provides stuff for us that we need to meet inner things in our life like security, safety, um, significance, identity. 
We, we think it can do things in us that will provide those things in us. And Paul is saying, you know what? Actually, no amount will ever do that. It'll just keep disappointing you. But you know what? With whatever God has given you, you can be thankful for that. You can get to a place in your life to recognize all those other things that you're chasing after actually come in a relationship with God to where you start being at peace with who you are. You start recognizing you were created for a purpose. You start recognizing, you start seeing things that God has done in your life that you didn't see before because why? You're fixated on what you don't have. And now all of a sudden that's been lifted from you. You're out of prison, out of that prison and you get to enjoy what God has blessed you with, whether it be a lot or a little. And it is actually a sin not to be thankful to God for the blessings in your life. That, that is a sin. And if we're greedy, we are not going to be thankful for that because we're going to be focused on the next thing, whatever it is. It's always the next. And we're not at peace. And Paul said, hey, God's so powerful in my life. That, he, that I've learned contentment, whether I've had a lot or a little. I'm free. I'm free from, from being a slave to needing more. And I'm free to enjoy what I have. And so that's, that's the context of what it's talking about there. Um, let's see, verse four of chapter one of Second Peter. By which he has granted to us, that's grace again, isn't it? He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature. This is supernatural. God is saying as an act of grace, I not only will walk with you, but I'll be in you and I will do a work where your character will become more like mine. That, that's, that's saying a lot because we would like to be better people. But God's saying, I will do that. Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to trust me? Yeah, you know, I can trust you for forgiveness, but I'm messed up. I mean, I trust that you forgive me and that maybe when I die one day, you would say, okay, I forgave you, so now I can, I'm accepting you into my presence. But I'm messed up. I've got issues. And God says, I know that more than you do. And are you willing to begin trusting me and let me do a work in you? And it means I'm willing to trust you and who you are and what you say is right so that I decide to go towards you instead of go towards me. Now, he says he's given us promises and he says he, through his power, he does this work in, to, in us. Now think about what a great combination that is. Power and promises. Power and promises. If you didn't know that the, that the power of God was at work, then his promises would be meaningless to me because they'd be empty. But he says, no, that the power of God that has created all things, the power of God that is sustaining the universe is at work in you. That means, um, you know, God is, is, he says he has unlimited power which means when he created all things, when he, cre he, you know, when he was the, um, the source of creating something out of nothing, he wasn't tired. 
He didn't go, oh my goodness, I need a rest. I mean, he created a Sabbath rest where he can enjoy his creation, but he created that as a pattern for us who do need rest. And he says, you know, I have unlimited resources. He, his batteries never need recharged. They're not running down. He's not depleting. That's the power at work with us. And so when he gives us a promise that I'm going to do a transformative work in you, not only am I are you forgiven, not only do I secure, do you have a, a home secured with me in all eternity, but while on this earth, I'm going to begin to transform your life because dependent upon my power, and my power is limitless. It will work in you. I mean, um, he never bounces a check. You know, a check is a promise. If you came up to me afterwards and said, hey, Bill, you know, gosh, I'm not sure if we're going to meet the, the bills this week. And I said, hey, well, let me just write you a check. And I write you a check for $1 million. Hey, it's got my signature on it. You know, good as money right there. I want to save that. $1 million. And you took that to the bank. Well, all that is is a promise that there's actually money someplace to back that up. And if you took that to the bank, you'd find out that I'm a big liar. Okay? I mean, I don't have the resources to back that up. And so I gave a promise, but it's pretty worthless because I didn't have the power to back it up. God never does that. Never does that. His promises you can take to the bank. Verse 5, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge. And so now it's saying we need to cooperate with him. We have a responsibility in our free will. God is not going to violate our free will. But he's saying, I'm going to do a work in you. If you cooperate with me, will you trust me? And so here's the second point. Followers of Jesus take their, take their life with God seriously. Will you press into God? Will you learn more about who he is and that he can be trusted and that you will then trust him? and follow him. And let me tell you, this is where the rubber meets the road. This, this is a life of faith. Um, we can talk all we want about, are you a Christian? Oh yeah, I believe in God. Well, man, you know, lots of people say that who aren't Christians. Is, are you willing to trust him? Not only trust him to be forgiven, but trust him with your life. You're surrendering to him. Um, you may come to God, or you may not have come to God because you're thinking, you know, I just don't trust God enough to um, say that, you know, the way I'm using my sexuality and how I'm finding my identity in it um, is I'm afraid he might not agree with it. And so I just don't want to go to him. Well, that's not trusting him. Who's that trusting? It's trusting me. Um, you know, the way I spend time with my friends and in our free time and I blow off steam and I just relax and decompress. I don't know if he's going to be okay with that. And so I don't, I don't know if I want to, if I want to trust him. We're well, being honest. You know, he, I, you know, God's a generous God. He's going to want me to be generous. You know, somebody like me with what I make and, and my bills and stuff, I can't afford to be generous. And so we don't trust him. Um, it's the number one problem in people coming to God and then people who have come to God to stay with God and to continue growing with God is that we don't trust him because we trust ourselves more. And so that's a big question for us. 
Peter's saying, this is all the things God's promising you. Will you trust him? A lot of people in the, on this earth say, you know, I, I just don't believe in God. I, I have intellectual problems with the idea that there's a God. Um, and, and, those, and there may be some who say that and believe that, but I guarantee you there are more people in this world who even though they say they have an intellectual problem with God, don't go to God because they don't want to have to submit their life to live for him. It's the number one reason keeping us from God is I want to do what I want to do. Um, write this down in your Bibles on a note. Isaiah 53, 6, uh, memorize that verse. It's a great Old Testament verse, but it just kind of gets to the crux of the problem. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us. Even good people? Yep. Even nice people? Yep. Nice compared to who? Maybe to their neighbor or somebody else in their family. But um, God's saying, are you nice compared to me? Nope. And he says, that's the holiness that you need in order to be in my presence. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. There it is right there. Number one problem in humanity, in me, and in you, as far as your relationship with God, is each of us turn to our own way. That's a definition for a little churchy word. Sin. Sin is simply saying, I trust me more than you, God. Each of us turns to our own way. And he says, ultimately, that's got to die. Do you think I'm good? Do you think I am the God of the universe? Do you think I made a way for you to be forgiven and brought into my family and that I tra can transform you? What's going to have to die in you is you have to die to yourself. And trust me. Trust me more than you. That's a life of growth. We are freeing him to do his supernatural work in us and to make our character more like him if we trust him. Okay, this is probably getting too personal. Let's move on. Okay. Um, 2 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Uh, in, at the end of five, he said, um, have supplement your faith with virtue, vir virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, six, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. He's saying my work in you as a person who is trusting in me will grow these things in your life. God at work in us, in our cooperation, is to trust him. So I am stepping into that. I am taking this seriously. I want to know what you want, God. I want to learn to trust you more. And what's going to happen is you're going to find out that you trust him and do something you know he wants you to do that you don't want to do. And you're going to take that step of, step of faith and say, I trust you. And you're going to find something out. He didn't burn you. He didn't take advantage of your trust, but he actually did something in you that wouldn't have happened. And that was good as a result of trusting him. And you will grow guaranteed. Trust him. You will grow.
that there's, there's not a doubt about it. He says, that's his promise. And so he's saying, trust me. And these are some of the things that are going to start growing in your life. Virtue, which means moral excellence. Knowledge, which means you're going to have, you're going to gain in an understanding, a practical understanding of how you see life, how you see what's good, how you were fooled before by chasing things that did not deliver. And you're going to see things more and more clearly. It's, it's like the fog is going to be lifting in your life as you look around this confusing world. Self-control, that's knowledge. Well, knowledge plus self-control is powerful. I mean, any world-class anything needs this. It is discipline. It is saying, I am choosing to do what's best because that will move me towards the ultimate goal. And now as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to choose to follow him. Why? Because it's best. He's good. He made me. He, know, he knows how I am to flourish. And even though I think it should look differently than that, I'm going to trust him because he knows more than me. So that, that is self-control. That's discipline is another word for it. Steadfastness. Endurance, um, ability to hang in there when times are tough. You know, there's different seasons in your life. If you're growing into maturity and you've been walking with God for a long time, it is, um, uh, you're, you're growing up. You're just not growing older. Okay, and so Peter is telling us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to grow up, not just grow old. All right, so if you're just growing older, and you're just thinking, I'm forgiven, I'm still forgiven, nothing else is happening. Well, you're missing it. If you're seeing your life being transformed internally, and you're seeing, you know, man, five years ago, I wasn't there, and today I see, man, I, I'm so grateful to know what I know today and trust God in those areas that in the past I didn't trust him. It saved me a lot of pain. That's growing up. Jesus says, you're going to grow up in these things. And so um, godliness means I'm going to grow in being right with God and right with other people. Brotherly affection, that, that's the Greek word Philadelphia. It, uh, it means kindness. I'm going to look at people instead of just having the disposition of being mad at people. I'm going to look at people and all of a sudden start seeing people through the eyes of God who died for that person, who made them in his image. They're image bearers. And I'm going to start seeing people differently. Man, very true in my experience with God, how he's changed how I see people. Um, brotherly affection, kindness, love. Um, and that's the, the word agape, okay? Greek word agape. It's the highest form of love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. Here's a definition for you. Agape love is devoting yourself to the well-being of others, no matter of their response or the cost. You know, a lot of times um, we can do good things for other people. And uh, maybe you're volunteering and at Thanksgiving you served um, the impoverished, you served meals. And as they're going through lines, some of them never made eye contact with you. They didn't say, their, they didn't say thank you. And they, they just took it and ate. And you're going, what ungrateful people. I will never do this again. You know what you were doing? You were doing something for yourself. It's like, yeah, you wanted to serve people, but you also wanted to feel good about yourself. 
and you, and you expected a thank you, a way to go. Um, you probably told people what you're doing because you wanted to get some things back. And agape love says you do things for the betterment and the well-being of others, no matter of their response or the cost. And you know what kind of love that is? That's the kind of love God has for you. You may not have been spending any time thinking about God most of your life. And you know that God created you. You were, you were created to be in a relationship with him, except he, you ignored him your whole life. And he, while you weren't even look, looking for him, he died on the cross for you. Why? Because he loves you. Yeah, but I didn't respond to him. He loves you. That's the love of God for us. Are we being transformed by God and loving others that way for their well-being, no matter of their response or the cost? Philippians 2, 12 really echoes what Peter's talking about, where Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but also in my absence. So Paul is close to death. And he's saying, you know what, D don't do this for me. Don't do this because I'm around and there's positive peer pressure. But even my absence, he says, work out your salvation. And so is that like trying to be better? Is that, um, you know, life management? No. Listen to this. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. How do you work your, your, out your salvation? Is you recognize God is at work in you. Trust him. Take it seriously. Trust him. That's the intentional cooperation with us and God. And God saying, I'm with you. Trust me. Listen to me. Let me guide you. Take time to slow down and learn of me and remind yourself of who I am and who is with you moment by moment and allow my voice to win in you. Trust me and watch me work. Trust me. If you're acting and trusting in God, then his grace will change you and he'll change our character. And it's not a matter of, uh, well, I think that's just for radical Christians. No, it's anybody willing to trust him. Anybody willing to trust him, he'll do that. Trust him and you'll grow. It's, it's not even an option. It will happen. Verse 8. For in these qualities are yours and are increasing. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus. And so this is saying, followers of Jesus, growth takes time. It's gradual. Are they increasing? They will increase over time if you're trusting in him. And that word, gradual, I mean, don't we love that word? Gradual. Yeah, I like things to change in me slowly. No, we want it now. We want it instant. But God says, no, as you learn to trust me more, I will transform you more so that your faith will not be ineffective or unfruitful. What does that mean? It means I'm going to transform your life so that your life will be a blessing to more and more people. 
And if you stop trusting me, you're going to be ineffective in your life being a blessing to more and more people. I want to have your life encourage and challenge and be a positive influence in people around you. And I will do that in you if you trust me. Okay, now think about this. And, and I thought of this because this is me. Are, are you an introvert? I'm an introvert, okay? Um, you know, I get up here every week and teach and I'm with a lot of people. And do you know what I do about three o'clock? I slip into a coma because I'm emotionally exhausted. Um, I am not somebody that recharges by being with more people. So I can come home after with being with people all day. And maybe it's during the week and I've had, I've had eight appointments with different people and I come home and Kathy says, Hey, tonight we get to go hang out with a bunch of people we don't know. And I think, just shoot me now. I mean, just put me out of my misery. This is, this is not sound fun. This is not sound like, Oh yeah. Wow. Great. I just think this is torture. Okay. God's done something in me. And my first reaction is, Oh no. But quickly I'm thinking, you know what? But this is going to be fun. Why? Because God has transformed me to like people. And I, I will go into a room with people I don't know. And I know I'm going to end up meeting people and asking them about their story and learning about their life. And three hours will go by and I'll just say, that was awesome. I love that. Why? Because God's actually grown my heart for people. You're saying, well, that's good, Bill. You're a pastor, you know, um, but you know, I'm just a guy like you or a girl trying to follow Jesus. And I'm on this thing and God's transforming my life. And I want you to know, so, um, transformation is not, um, is not equal to busyness doing good things. Okay. Um, I get up and teach because God's given me a spiritual gift of teaching. And so when I teach and when I study, there's something in, in me that, that feels good. It, it feels good. But I want you to know I can teach and you can think, okay, that was okay. And I could be dying inside. I could be shriveling up inside and be miserable. What sustains my heart is being with God is taking time to read and to, and to understand who he is and to thank him for it and to see him at work and to pray to him and to, um, talk to him about what he's exposing in my life. And then to trust him as I, I know what the next step looks like. I need to trust him in it. And then my, my heart is filled and I can do that because I'm enjoying him. He's with me and I'm enjoying him, but I could cut that out and fool most of you. And there, there's a lot of people who are going through life and they're, you're just fooling people regarding being a follower of Jesus. And I want you to know you're, li you're living a religious life that's empty and that's not the life for you. God says, I forgive you 
You're part of my family. Now let's walk through life together. Trust me. And you're going to be amazed about what I do. Trust me. Are you willing to trust me? And you'll live at a place of fullness and out of energy and out of growing compassion and passion for people around you. And that's the life that God promises to us. Last verse, verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is saying, not only are you forgiven, are you in my family, do I walk in you and with you every day of your life on earth, but there will be a day that's moving day. That you move from this this home here on earth into your eternal home with me in heaven. And this is all a taste of it. You know, you, you might think, okay, God's done a great work in my life and I've seen all these different areas where I've grown. I think I'm there. I, I think I'm, I am now mature. I am now everything that he wants me to be and I want you to know that's a lie. Okay? If you think that, that is just 100% an indication that you aren't as mature as you think you are. God, it's a lifelong journey. He's saying, I'm transforming your nature, or your, your character into mine. Do you realize the gap there? And then he says, one day you'll be with me in eternity. And sometimes we think about that and we say, I don't know, I think I like here. Eternity, I'm not much of a harp guy. You know, that it sounds pretty boring and miserable. Eternity, just think about it. eternity. I don't know about that. That sounds boring. Think about it this way. You were created by God to be in relationship with God in your deepest needs are fulfilled in relationship with God. Your needs for peace, your need for joy, happiness, contentment, rest, all of those things that are just, you're just longing for, that you spent your life chasing other things, trying to provide, you will find them perfectly in the presence of God for all eternity. That's not boring. That's awesome. That's where I want to be. This is with our God and Savior. He loves you. Trust him. He forgives you. But then you're on this journey of transformation with him every day that you're on this earth. And then one day is moving day. And you're with him for all eternity. Just in your own heart and mind, I want to give you a chance to reflect. Uh, maybe you're, you're on a journey and you're trying to decide where you're at with God. And uh, if nothing else, maybe today you have a clearer picture. It's like intellectually, I embrace God. I don't have an intellectual problem with God. But um, I don't know if I trust him to the point of surrendering to him. That, that's a good, honest journey. And maybe today you're um, recognizing I know exactly what I need to do. I need to wave the right white flag and say, God, I have been following myself and I have been my own God in that sense. And today I need to place my trust in you. And if that is where you're at, I just invite you to tell God that. And if you're at a place where you're not ready to, tell God that. So let him know where you're honestly at and the journey you're on. 
But you might be, God, God, I know that you are God, and today I recognize you as God, and I confess to you a silly thing, but I've been living this way. I've been living like I'm God. And so I, I confess that to you. And I've been doing, living according to my own way. And Father, I want to confess that and ask you to forgive me. And as God, I choose to trust you. I surrender to you. I want to follow you, my maker. The one that knows what human flourishing looks like. I trust you instead of me. And God, help me to learn and grow me up to be the person that you created me to be. So, Father, I surrender, and I trust you. And, Father, I pray for each one of us that this may be a day of uh, reclaiming what we already know and a day of repentance, saying, I have been living for me, thinking about me, and not taking my walk with you seriously. And so I surrender that. And I wanted this week... I want to press into you. I want to read your word and be reminded about who you are and who I am and what life following you looks like. So I surrender that to you. Father, I pray for each person here. Father, would your Holy Spirit do something in us that we cannot do ourselves? As people trust you this week, will you do a powerful, transformative work in their life? And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.